Revelation chapter 20 and verse 11, perhaps one of the most frightful verses to contemplate in all of Scripture when we read, And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books, according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every man, according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Amen. We'll end our reading at the end of the chapter. And we know the Lord will add his blessing to the reading of his word for his name's sake. I find myself drawn to this chapter this afternoon because I am struck by the topic of books. Did you see how often books are mentioned in this passage we just read? Look at verse 12 again with me. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. A book, you know, is really quite a phenomenal thing. We can trace their beginnings just about all the way back to the dawn of creation. The first mention of a book is found in Genesis chapter 5 and verse 1. It says there simply, This is the book of the generations of Adam. In the day that God created man, in the likeness of God made he him, and so on. Reference there to the book of the generations of Adam. Okay? On various occasions, the Lord's servants were instructed to record books, to write books. Exodus chapter 17 and verse 14, And the Lord said unto Moses, Write this for a memorial in a book, and rehearse it in the ears of Joshua, for I will utterly put out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. Okay, in Exodus chapter 24, the book is referred to as a book of the covenant. And he took the book of the covenant and read in the audience of the people, and they said, all that the Lord has said will we do and be obedient. The reference to these various books, of course, any man who is in the ministry, you know, has an appreciation for books. Uh, I, I get um, emails numerous times during the week from different sources, most notably, I suppose, from Amazon, also from Apple. We have some 
book recommendations for you. Amazon tells me two or three times every week, to which I reply as I'm deleting the email. I don't know that Amazon would recognize a good book if it slapped them alongside the head. And uh, rarely do I find any of their recommendations to be useful at all, unless they might be based on something that I previously purchased from them. But there we have it with books. I had the privilege, I suppose you could call it, of working in the printing industry when we came into the next millennium. Remember Y2K? All the uh, concern that was uh, raised during that time. Uh, Everything's going to collapse. The world is going to stop turning uh, because our computers are not fit to handle uh, the changing in the calendar to the year 2000. They all expire after 1999, and who knows what kind of havoc is going to happen then. And the day came and went, and nothing unusual happened, and I suppose a lot of people were disappointed. But the thing I remember about that time period is that when reports were coming out, studies were being conducted as to what had had the greatest impact on the history of civilization over the last thousand years, from the year 1000 to the year 2000. And what do you suppose it was? It was the printing press. The printing press and the printing of books. Most notably, very first book to come off of Gutenberg's press in Heidelberg uh, was a version of the Bible. Jerome's Latin Vulgate, I believe it was. But again, the impact of books and now uh, the printed page, which has had an impact on civilization. I suppose you could say coming now into our current time period, we would remark that the thing that has had the greatest impact on us today uh, would be the Internet. Because now, on a device as small as your phone, you can carry every book you own. Indeed, you can carry an entire library with you in the palm of your hand uh, with your reading device. All of this which underscores the importance and what an incredible phenomenon books are and have been throughout the history of civilization. Now in Exodus chapter 32, we have reference made to, I suppose you could call it a different kind of book, a book of God a book that God has written, a book that God keeps track of. This is in the context of Israel's sin. They had erected the golden calf. They had bowed before it. Uh, Moses came down greatly angered, greatly distressed. And he returns to the Lord in chapter 32 of Exodus. And in verse 31, we read these words. And Moses returned unto the Lord and said, Oh, this people have sinned a great sin and have made them gods of gold. Yet now, if thou wilt forgive their sin, and you have that dash that appears after the word sin, indicating 
a lengthy pause on Moses' part. And then he goes on to say after that pause, and if not, you will not forgive their sins. Blot me, I pray thee, out of thy book which thou hast written. So here reference is made to a book that God has written. Moses is saying, if you won't forgive this people their sins, blot me out of this book. And the Lord said unto Moses, Whosoever has sinned against me, him will I blot out of my book. Now you may be familiar with that verse. I know I've been familiar with that verse. But I find something striking in that verse that I have to admit I'd never really thought of before. Whosoever has sinned against me, him will I blot out of my book. You know, in order to be blotted out of God's book, that presupposes that your name is there in the first place. Your name must be there in order for it to be blotted out. And I think that conveys to us something very important theologically, which was when God created man, he created him to live. He didn't create him to die. He didn't create him because he was uh, in need of people to damn, to condemn. He didn't create people with condemnation in view. No, they were all written originally in the book of life. But then the follow-up question, of course, would be, if it is those that have sinned that are blotted out of that book, what would that book look like now? Uh, It would be a book of blank pages, wouldn't it? Because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You've seen some of those books, these journals, they're called for the purpose of writing out Scripture. Good practice, I'm not engaged in it, but uh, uh, I recommend anyone who can take up the practice, who has enough um, savvy to be able to read their own handwriting, take up the practice of writing out Scripture. Interestingly enough, and you find this in the book of Deuteronomy, I believe, that the kings were instructed, before they were even instituted, they were instructed to write out a copy of the law for themselves in a book. But the point I'm making just now is that we have to be recorded originally in that book before We are blotted out. By the grace of God, you could say that that book of life, God's book, has not had every name blotted out of it. There are those that God did choose and gave to his son, who you could say whose names remained and do remain in that book. Joshua chapter 1 and verse 8 Practical instructions here for us. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. The book of the law, God's book, God's word, 
is a book that you need to be devoted to reading, to memorizing, and not just reading and memorizing, but meditating upon, giving thoughts to what it means, to how it applies, to what it teaches about God and about man and about sin and about salvation. Meditate on these things. Okay? Now, we find, and I suppose uh, uh, this would be where you find the term book utilized most often would be in the book of Kings and Chronicles. And you're probably familiar with this phenomenon when at the end of the account given of a particular king, uh, we are told that uh, his deeds are recorded in the Chronicles of the Kings. And in Chronicles, it says that this king's deeds are recorded in the book of Kings. So Kings refers to Chronicles, Chronicles refers to Kings, and hence the use of the term book can be found more often in Kings and Chronicles than anywhere else in the Bible. I'm reminded of the heart burden of Job. He wouldn't have realized that at the time when he expressed this heart burden in Job 19 and verse 23, Oh, that my words were now written. Oh, that they were printed in a book. Funny you should mention that, Job, because that is exactly what has happened. His words have been written, printed in a book. And then, of course, there's Ecclesiastes 12 and verse 12. I suppose every homeschooler would probably give an amen to what the wisest man in the Bible, Solomon, says. And further, by these, my son, be admonished. Of making many books, there is no end. In much study is a weariness of the flesh. I'm waiting for the amens coming out of the, the homeschooling crowd or the college people, or the seminarians uh, of much books. Uh, there are certainly many. In fact, the thought that strikes me time and again is, why is there need for any book ever to be written again in our day? Is there a topic that has not been covered again and again and again and again? And uh, uh, they are covered many times over. So, but books continue to be printed, and I'm grateful for that because some publishers, what they're able to do with books, and I'm thinking in particular of Reformation heritage books, they take the works of the Puritans and they put them into a format that is uh, more readable. And plus, uh, they still feel compelled to use the King James Version of the Bible and the books that they print. So, very good. New Testament, almost right out of the gate, the very first verse in the New Testament makes reference to a book. The book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. It's making reference, of course, to itself. Matthew's Gospel is that book of the generation of Jesus Christ. I won't take the time except to mention how one of my favorite theologians, Hugh Martin, Scottish Presbyterian, uh, 1800s, he compares the first verse in Matthew with the last verse in Matthew. 
I made reference to one of my favorite books, The Abiding Presence. First uh, mention, uh, the verse I just read, the book of the generation of Jesus Christ. The last verse, we have the promise of Christ's presence. Lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the age. And in the first mention of the book of the generation, you have what you could call the objective truths of our religion, the propositions that we affirm to be true, that teach us our doctrine, teach us of Christ, of man, of salvation, etc. The last verse teaches us the subjective truths of our walk with the Lord. We are not, as Christians, merely bookworms. The mind you, that is an accusation that is at times leveled against Presbyterians. But we recognize that the presence of Christ is something that is real. And the two are meant to go hand in hand. The objective truth, the subjective truth, the book and the presence of the Lord. Okay? Paul certainly placed high value on books. He writes to Timothy uh, in 2 Timothy 4.13, The cloak that I left at Troas with Carpus, when thou comest, bring with thee, and the books, but especially the parchments. And where do you suppose you find books mentioned most often in the New Testament? would be the book of Revelation. Um, some 24, 25 times mention is made in the book of Revelation to the books. Revelation 3 and verse 5. He that overcometh the same shall be clothed in white raiment, and I will not blot out his name out of the book of life. Here you go, you can cross-reference that to that text I read just a moment ago from the book of Exodus, reference made again to the book of life. I will not blot out his name out of the book of life. And again, that supposes that that name is in that book. But that it can be blotted out, but that it won't be if obedience is rendered. But I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. And then you come to Revelation chapter 5. And let me just um, have you turn to that if you want to follow along. Very important section here. One of the most suspenseful segments in the book of Revelation that pertains to a book. And you should keep in mind now that when I'm using the term book, uh, and this is easy, I suppose, for us to forget. We're not talking about a hardbound volume that has been bound and is a hardcover edition or a paperback edition. Basically, uh, in every use of the term coming up to now, we're dealing with a book that was rolled up. It was a scroll, which is what the books looked like in ancient days. But in Revelation 5, let me read in verse 1. And I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within and on the backside sealed with seven seals. And there's your first clue as to what this book looked like. In order for it to be sealed that way, it would have to have been 
rolled up as a scroll. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? And no man in heaven nor in earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. And I wept much, because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book, neither to look thereon. And one of the elders saith unto me, Weep not. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. And I take that to mean, of course, Christ. Nothing mysterious or difficult in interpreting this section of the book of Revelation. What might give rise to some speculation is what exactly is this book or this scroll that is sealed with seven seals? I take it to be the book of God's plan of redemption. How can that book be unfurled, so to speak, so that the events in it come to pass? Verse 6, And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne, and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb, as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and four and twenty elders fell down, before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of saints. And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. So you see what focus is placed on that book, that sealed scroll that Christ qualifies to unfurl, to unseal it and reveal its content. So uh, what a phenomenon then are books. Revelation 13 and verse 8. He that overcometh the same shall be clothed in white raiment. And I will not blot out his name out of the book of life. There's reference to that book of life again. There's reference to a name not being blotted out, which again presupposes that you have to be in it before you can be blotted out of it. But I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. And then the verses we just read from chapter 20. Let me read them again. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened. Let me pause there long enough to say, what are we dealing with now when it says the books were opened? I think it would be clear to say, to interpret it as meaning the book of your life and the book of my life, the books were opened. I don't know that we have any authors among us today, people that are devoted to writing books. But as a matter of fact, each one of you is engaged in creating a book by your life. 
And God is writing that book. And God is keeping track of every deed you perform, of every word that you utter, of every thought that you harbor. God has it all on record. These are the books being referenced here. Now, when you think of a book that way, and when you think of the truth that you are actually contributing to the making of a book of your life, and that it's being written by God and is going to be opened on the day of judgment, what kind of an impact should that have on you? Uh, I know what impact it has on me. I find myself in need of a Savior. Thank God one has been revealed in the book of God. And my hope and my faith is in Him. And yours needs to be too. So that's a book that's open, okay? The books were opened, it says. The book of your life. Every time I drive by a cemetery and I see the grave markers there, the, the thought that strikes me is, look at all the books. <laughs> uh, the grave markers, they are marking not just where someone has been laid to rest, but they're marking a story that has been lived out and recorded. And when you see people walking down the street, I don't know how often you engage in the practice of just... Uh, sitting on a park bench or sitting in a car somewhere and just watching people go back and forth. It can be an interesting and uh, fun pastime to engage in. And uh, one that I do, me and my wife's strategy, you know, when we go grocery shopping, I let her off in the store. I always ask, do you have your cell phone with you? Uh, if you don't, we're going to lose contact. She always does, so that's good. And I drop her off in the store, and I go park somewhere, and I may read a book, or I may just watch people. And when I see people driving by, walking by, uh, uh, it always strikes something of a, uh, a note of curiosity in me. What is their story? There is a story behind every person you see. Uh, do you ever wonder what it is and how it will end and how you would just love to point them to Christ? The point being that we are all engaged in the process of creating a book. You may not be writing it, and indeed God is writing it, but then we have mention made of this other book again, the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. Your works are written in God's book. What is that going to mean for you come judgment day? When you are judged according to what's written in those books by your works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it. And death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Here is 
uh, the question for the day, if you will. You can contemplate this throughout the rest of the day. Are you written? Is your name written in the Lamb's Book of Life? You can know that by recalling the book of your own life. Will there be a chapter in that book, your book, the books that are opened out of which you'll be judged? Will there be a chapter there that says, I came to Christ in such and such a period in my life and pinning it down to an exact date is not so important, but what is important that you are able to say, yes, I know that recorded in uh, my book, the one that God keeps track of, that writes and keeps track of my words and deeds, etc., there will be a portion in that book that says at such and such a time, Jeff Bannister saw himself to be bound for hell, hell bound, hell deserving, and he called on Christ. And that then can be cross-referenced to the Lamb's Book of Life. And I believe my name will be found there because of what can be found in that other book that pertains to me. Whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Now, I, I listened to a podcast some while back in which this topic of the, these two books in particular was being dealt with. And uh, the preacher, the author of this podcast, he made a remark. He said, salvation is secured for all who are written in the book of life. The reason that being written in the book of life secures our salvation is that the book is called the book of life of the Lamb that was slain. The names in this book are not saved on the basis of their deeds. They are saved on the basis of Christ's being slain. But John says, Revelation 20 and verse 12, And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. So how then does the record of our lives contained in the books have a part in our judgment if we are saved on the basis of Christ being slain? And the answer, and this is largely what I just said a moment ago, is that the books which record our deeds contain enough evidence of our belonging to Christ that they function as a public confirmation of our faith and our union with Christ. The Lamb's book of life. Is there a chapter in your book that points to your faith in Christ? What will be written about you? Will it be said of you? Obviously it will be that you were in church. Okay, that's good, but it's hardly adequate. Hell is going to be filled with churchgoers. Will it be recorded of you this man called on Christ. This man's hope was in Christ alone for salvation. Will that be, will there be a page, and it only need be a page, but will there at least be a page 
that contains that much information on it when the books are opened. The same author, he makes reference to that thief that died on the cross. Oh, in a sense, I suppose you could say his book will be a sorry tale because it will be largely up until just about his last breath in this world. It will be a book that records his sins and his rebellion, his thefts and whatever other sins he was engaged in. But it will also record near the end of it that he turned to Christ and he asked Christ to remember him when Christ comes into his kingdom, to which Christ responded, Thou wilt be with me in paradise even this day. Oh, I hope that your names are written in the Lamb's book of life. I hope that when the books are opened, as we are assured they will be on that judgment day, that there will be a chapter, at least a page, that will give evidence for your hope and your trust in Jesus Christ. That is certainly, you could argue, God's original will. When he created you, when he created man, every name was in that book, but sin does blot our names out of it. But to those who trust in Christ, you can be assured your name will yet be found in it. And so I urge you today, while you are in the process of creating this book, so to speak, that if you've never called on Christ, make sure you do it. And do it soon. Indeed, do it now. That you can have that assurance that your name will be found in that book of life. Let's close then in prayer. Let's all pray. O Lord, as we bow now in thy presence and bring this meeting to a close, we thank thee that Christ was worthy to take the book and unseal the seals and roll out the plan of redemption, and that this plan is ongoing today. We thank thee, Lord, that when you created man, you created him to have life, But, O Lord, sin does blot our names out of that book. We thank Thee, however, that by the grace of God and through Christ's atoning death, there are names that are retained in that book, which include all those that put their trust in Christ. So, Lord, strive with any in our midst this afternoon who have not yet called upon Thee, We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.